0: Every day holds the potential for joy and indulgence by yourself.
1: The Outline World Dispatch. It's Thursday, November 9th, 2017. I'm Aaron Edwards. Today on the show, Aaron Gordon on why everyone hates e-bikes, and Amelia Tate on a cookie tin that never has cookies in it. Here's The Dispatch.
0: The future.
1: For city dwellers, e-bikes could solve a lot of problems. They're less expensive than a car, more eco-friendly, and you don't have to exert as much energy over long distances and hills. But naturally, there are some haters. Fellow Aaron, Aaron Gordon, wrote about the pushback for the outline. Hi, Aaron. Hey. Have you ridden an e-bike before you did this story, or was this your first time riding one? No, this was my first time riding an e-bike. Okay. Gotcha. I've never really... I haven't heard much about them, actually, until I read your story. But I think that's a good place to start. If you could just talk me through what an e-bike is and what it feels like when you're riding it.
2: So generally speaking, an e-bike is just a bicycle with a battery and a motor that adds to the movement you create with pedaling with a battery and a motor.
1: Okay. And how do those differ from... I guess we can call them a motorbike or, you know, the, the scooters people use. Are those a different kind of e-bike or are those a different category?
2: So like there are some e-bikes that have a throttle and you don't need to pedal them in order to go, but they still have pedals in case you want to use them. Um, and then there are uh, like e electric scooters. And the like the difference between electric scooters and e-bikes with throttles is not extremely clear like they're they're both fundamentally the same thing one just happens to have pedals on them.
1: What was it like writing
2: it? Uh it it was pretty wild. Like I it took maybe like 2 hours for me to totally be on board with e-bikes because the thing with the thing that e-bikes do very very well is they help you get started. They help your initial acceleration be very easy. Like you, you don't have to really pedal very hard at all to get going. And it also helps you maintain a top, uh, you know, quote unquote, top speed of like maybe around 15 miles an hour um, very easily. Like on a normal bike to maintain that speed in the city, you'd have to be pedaling pretty hard and you get kind of tired after a little while. But on an e-bike, you don't get tired at all maintaining that speed. It's basically like the same amount of effort you would take just like cruising along at a
1: very moderate speed. Why do people actually hate e-bikes so much?
2: Yeah, well, especially I mean, like I live in New York City, and especially in New York City, e-bikes have been kind of demonized a lot. The main reason I think is that there's no road space for them, where it makes sense for them to be they don't belong anywhere, like e-bikes in a bike lane, as a, you know, as I just said, like the speed, it, you can maintain a higher speed than most bikes. So you're going much faster than everybody else. Um, but obviously, being on a road, you're going slower than most cars, or there's just no space for you on New York roads. Um, so there's really nowhere for an e-bike to be that feels natural. You're always encroaching on someone else's territory.
1: And what kind of challenges do e-bikes present to legislators when they're thinking about how to regulate them?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, especially in a state like New York, electric scooters and minibikes bikes. And other vehicles like that either have to be registered with the DMV or the DMV um, won't let you register them because they're illegal to use, like minibikes, for example. But but because e-bikes fall into the same category, technically speaking, as mini bikes in the city, you can't go to DMV to register your e-bike. They will tell you that that's a, it's a vehicle that's illegal to operate in New York City and you just can't ride it. So until the legislature clarifies that e-bikes are something different than that. They're stuck in this kind of limbo.
1: Who is using these bikes mostly?
2: So in New York City, they're almost exclusively used by food delivery workers. But that, of course, adds a complicating factor to the pushback against e-bikes because so far in New York, the main people who have complained loudest about e-bike use Um, tend to be residents of the wealthiest and whitest neighborhoods in the city. So it's created this dynamic, unintentional or otherwise, where it's mostly rich white people complaining about the activities of low-income immigrant labor. And it's just a nasty look all the way around.
1: What are the main arguments that they use against e-bikes?
2: I mean, to put it as succinctly as possible... Um, it's basically all the same complaints that you sometimes hear from people about regular bikes in the city, but just amped up because they're going a little bit faster. So they perceive the danger to be a little bit greater. Have there
1: been any really bad repercussions people have faced?
2: Yeah, so the, the main repercussion that'll happen if you um, are cited riding an e-bike in the city is they'll confiscate your bike. Um, so the NYPD to this Uh, I think up to this point in the year has seized almost a thousand e-bikes and it seems like almost entirely from delivery workers Uh, and that comes with a $500 fine and they also have to pay the impound fee to get their bike back and obviously for a low-income delivery worker who relies mostly on tips and otherwise makes something like $4 an hour that's a huge expense the flip side of the coin is that there are people who use pedal assist e-bikes in the city who aren't delivery workers, um, but there have been no real reports of those types of riders getting um, their bikes confiscated and having to pay the fee. In fact, the guy who runs the e-bike shop I borrowed the bike from said that no, cu- uh, he's never heard from a customer that they got a ticket for riding an e-bike. So there seems to be this imbalance where the people who are most vulnerable um, are the ones getting the harshest punishment for riding one.
1: Is it actually illegal to ride an e-bike in New York City?
2: Conventional wisdom amongst everyone I spoke to was that throttle e-bikes, like the type that you don't have to pedal to move, were are illegal. And that remains true. Like Nobody really disputes that at this point in time. And those tend to be the ones that delivery riders are using because even... Um, at the even though e-bikes make things easier when you're doing it 60 miles a day you appreciate the throttle for various reasons so there's no debate that those bikes are illegal now the pedal assist bikes like the one i was using they're pretty much allowed although the law is relatively ambiguous because all the law specifies is that throttle e-bikes are illegal it doesn't specifically say anything about pedal assist e-bikes um everyone i spoke to said yeah we we Our interpretation of the law and what we've heard from other people is that pedal assist bikes are not included in that ban, and therefore they're allowed. But then um, the day the article for the LM published, actually, I got a statement from the mayor's office, which seemed to contradict that directly. They said pedal assist e-bikes are illegal. And until the law is changed, they are not permissible to ride in the city. Um, So that was kind of a surprise. And everyone's caught a little bit off guard by it the city seems to be capitulating to the loudest complainers. Um, There are some very vocal people who have gotten lots of press for, you know, complaining about e-bikes. And even though e-bikes haven't, we have no evidence that e-bikes have hurt anyone in the city more than regular cyclists. They haven't killed anyone. Um, We have no evidence that they're dangerous and they provide all these benefits Um, so why the city, I think the city is doing just enough to say that they're doing something, but not so much that, um, they're actually curtailing e-bike use. And I think they're kind of just in a holding pattern until the law gets clarified and then they'll have a more direct plan of action.
1: Aaron Gordon is a freelance writer here in New York who covers transit for The Village Voice. You can read his article, Everyone Hates E-Bikes, at theoutline.com. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, guys. Culture. I grew up in Jamaica, Queens, in my grandmother's small two-story house by the airport. And when I think about my childhood, a few things come directly to mind. Ginger root sprawled across the kitchen counter, the smell of Ray and nephew white overproof rum, and scattered across the house, Royal Dansk butter cookie containers, the blue tin ones with five assorted cookie types displayed on the lid. But there were never cookies in these tins. Instead, there were empty plastic bags, sewing needles, and spools of thread. Royal Dansk cookie tins are a great equalizer in that millions of people have stories just like these. London-based writer Amelia Tate explored some of them for Vice UK. Hi, Amelia. Hey. What got you interested in these cookie tins?
0: Uh, basically, I mean, it's a little bit of a sad slash awkward story, but my grandmother actually died a few months ago. And when we were cleaning out her house after the funeral, um, I noticed the cookie tin in her living room, um, which kind of brought back all of these memories. I just remembered having them in my childhood and Pretty much every time you went to open it, there would not be biscuits in there. There would be uh, a sewing kit, or in the case of my grandma, actually, colored pencils.
1: And in your reporting, just looking into the tins, what did you find?
0: Well, I was absolutely amazed to find that they are literally all over the world. You know, I spoke to people from India, from the Philippines, from Italy, from Canada, and everyone had a memory of this tin, and pretty much everyone, um had a memory of it being used for sewing stuff. Although some people, um, there was one person who said their mum used it to keep sugar in, which was interesting.
1: Where did these cookies come from, the tins themselves? Like, how do they start? Who made them? How long have they been around for?
0: So the first um, of the blue biscuit tins, the Royal Dansk one, was released in 1966. And I spoke with them and they're sort of very into their history of the tins. Basically, they didn't never intended it to be dual purpose, but um the person I spoke to there was very pleased to find out that, you know, people were using them all across the world.
1: Were you the person to break the news to this representative at the company that their tins were being used like this? Because they're they're so ubiquitous and everyone uses them. Yeah. I'd, I'd imagine they'd yeah. heard about I this before. I think I
0: was. Yeah. Uh, they seemed quite surprised, but very, very pleased, like I said. I don't know if they're just not on social media and not seeing the memes or if maybe certain people at the company know. But the person I spoke to didn't seem to know, yeah.
1: Right. Is it possible to trace when this became a meme?
0: I don't know who was the first person to do it. I know that there was a Rage comic, which obviously are very old. Um, Four panels with the traditional kind of like Rage faces. So the first one is like the curious guy and he sees the tin and then there's like kind of a thought bubble in the second panel where he's thinking about the biscuits that are in the tin. And in the third panel, the tin is kind of opened up. And instead of biscuits, it is sewing stuff, threads, needles. And the last panel is the kind of traditional rage comic face with like a really angry stick man just saying, fuck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was really curious about what my family used them for because I would find them in my grandmother's house too, but they were all over the place. And I, I actually texted my mom about it. So I asked her, why did you use them? Where did they come from? And I sent her your article. And she said they were a cookie tin of sugar cookies that Gigi loved. Gigi's my great-grandmother. So we always had them. Tupperware was the alternative for storage and they were free. And her her justification for it was when you didn't come from much, you made things work.
0: Mm. Yeah. One of the interesting ones that, that I, people that I spoke to was... Um, this girl from Russia who said they used to buy the tins as a New Year's present for her grandma because they do kind of New Year's presents in Russia. And she bought the t- they bought the tin for her grandma, even though her grandma didn't actually like the cookies. Like, I think for a lot of people, it was kind of always intended to be dual use, which I think, again, it, rather than thinking about it in terms of being poor or less wealthy, I think it just shows how wealthy we are now that we would go out and buy a sewing kit or we'd go out and buy a place to put our colored pencils or a sugar tin or whatever. Whereas back then, maybe people were into reusing things more.
1: Amelia Tate is a tech and culture writer based in London. You can find her piece, Seriously, Why Does Everyone's Mum Use That Same Cookie Tin for Sewing Stuff, at Vice UK. Amelia, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much. that's it for today's show if you're listening on apple podcasts please leave us a review or rate us if you like the show we'd really appreciate it and we'll love you forever i'm aaron edwards we'll be back on monday with more stories have a great weekend